February, man. <laughs> Listen. Listen, this was the exact right thing to do for me this week. We moved in. I finished a revision on a book. And then I read about 42 <laughs> truly, truly quick and dirty books by London Hale. Yeah. I mean, look. <laughs> you know what? Okay. So we're going to do a lot of banter this morning. Today's topic is London Hale. They are an author duo. Do we know their actual yeah. <laughs> name, Sarah? We do know their actual okay. names. Okay, wait, but first of all, let's get, I mean, let's Let, professional. We got, let's be professional. Sure. Welcome, everybody, to Faded Mates. <laughs> I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And this week on Faded Mates, we are discussing the oeuvre. <laughs> Fancy. Um, I like it. Thank, I mean, we're classing it up. Of London Hale, which is a pen name of a writer friends, Ellis Lee and Brighton Walsh, who write separately as those two names and for a while wrote together as London Hale. And the reason why we are doing <laughs> London Hale this, this week. This is like, listen, sometimes people are like, you're just doing what you lo- you want. And we're like, no, it's what's good we're for romance. For we're here for the people. <laughs> people meaning you and me right now. Exactly. Here, listen. Okay. <laughs> I've talked about London Hale before. Wait, did, have you read them before? Yes, I have. Okay. You know, okay, listen, can I tell you something? You know how you know when you go back and download something from Kendall Unlimited and you're like, I've never read and this it before. Through. <laughs> and then it starts at the end and you're like, usually, I have read this before. In these books, it usually starts like right at the dirty bits for me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you go back to that part and then return it to KU so that then when you check it out again, you're like, look at that's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you very much. Pash me, really looking out for present me. We have taken, we have talked about London Hale before. We yes. talked about them on our quick and dirty interstitial, which, I mean, let's be honest. If you haven't, look, you magnificent firebirds, we know you come here and you tell your friends, like, oh, they're so smart. And they talk about romances literature. And like, we talk about feminism and we talk yes. about, you know, third wave. And we're so smart. And we are. Look, we don't want to lie. We are. We believe that we are doing a service. But Those also, Trailblazer episodes, sure. Chef's Kiss. But we Look. know that you're also here. For the quick and dirty. And if you haven't listened to that quick and dirty episode, sure. show notes now. And look, I'm so are we. I mean, that's the thing about like, for okay, sure. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes you talk to someone outside of romance who occasionally read a romance and they'll say this thing, which is, yeah, romance is part of my reading diet, right? Like so there's this way people think about it. And I'm like, okay, so everything I read is romance. <laughs> And then different one subgenres are part, of, are part of my reading diet, right? One time I read a book by Madeline Miller. And that was as far afield as I was willing to go. Listen, Cersei Listen, was great. Cersei's great. You should all read it. Cersei is <laughs> honestly amazing. Yeah. Astoundingly is. good, but still. I'm like, sometimes I read a little Jack Reacher as part of my reading diet. <laughs> uh, but No feelings at all. Oh, God, no. The All action, no feelings. Jack Reacher would never. <laughs> There is a part. So this, wait, wait. I this is actually really funny. I was looking back over my. We're putting Jack, a pin in London Hale. We're coming, we're coming back. back. Listen, lots of banter today. I was talking about Jack Reacher, and I was looking at a thread where Jack Reacher literally says like something about like my feeling, 
like singular. <laughs> Roy Kent style. Yeah, yes. And this, listen, I love Jack Reacher books, but that man is just like toxic masculinity walking sure. around on legs. That's it. I love and it. I love it too. It's a good, it's like, so sometimes when people say I'm, you know, I'm struggling to read, I've hit the wall. I'm like, read a Jack Reacher book. <laughs> You will bounce right back into romance because you'll be like, I just read 800 pages about, like, guns (laughs) and beating the shit out of people and his hands the size of, like, throw pillows, (laughs) small turkeys, a child's head, a skateboard. (laughs) Who the fuck knows? And then you can come back, come back to romance. Anyway, point is, we know you guys tell your friends that you listen to us for one reason – but the truth is that you really like it when we talk about the dirty bits. So here we are. Here we are, London Hale, delivering on all on all counts. We have had a quick and dirty interstitial. Maybe you haven't read it, but quick and dirty is not only about page count, although that's part of it. I think the thing that makes quick and dirty quick and dirty is it is – a trope perfectly distilled into its purest form with nothing, right? Don't yeah, don't muck it up with any plot. Don't do it. Right. It's it's <laughs> it's supercharged, straight. right? Boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's the thing I think you need to understand. And these titles will tell you exactly what you're oh, gonna need. So good. They're like New School presents, right? Like, yes. you know, present, Harlequin presents is like the pregnant billionaire's Italian mistress or something. No, that's <laughs> that's probably is an actual book, Sarah. Come on. <laughs> There's the, all those words are in the title for sure. They're just you know in a different arrangement. Um, but this word, this these books. I mean, nanny with benefits. Sure. Stop it, you daddy's exactly best friend. Bam, da- right? Best friend. Listen, I think there might be something wrong with me. <laughs> Me too. I just headphones in, I guess, for this whole episode, you guys, because we're going to talk about some stuff. But I really like it. I yeah, love me that. too. Like I'm old enough to be your dad. <laughs> Listen, I'm old enough to be lots of people's moms, and I don't like that at all. Oh but no, like, no, but same. If yeah. He's old enough to be my dad. Like sure, sure, Sh- yeah. I I'm not even why not, why Listen. why. I I don't know. I, okay, I I don't know. I thought a lot about it because, like you, I mean, okay, look, little I little want to get too deep into. I don't though. either. That's how I feel. As soon as I start thinking about it, I just like I, don't I just it. like bounce right off because of it and come right clear. back up to earth. Come right back In up. Your lifetime. Have you ever known a person old as your parents who was hot? No, no. I mean, like. There's, like, Robert Redford, who looks like a very nice weathered suitcase these days. I mean, like, but the... <laughs> but like, yeah, it's true. But when I was young, he looked like Robert Redford, and I was down, right? And the, yeah. the truth is, like, nobody looks like that in real life. Like, none of my friends' parents right. were hot. I'm going to tell you I have a theory. I just came up with it, so it's real half-assed. I'm ready for it. It's very, it's very well think- cooked. <laughs> For women of our generation, I'm a little bit older than you. The primordial I'm not much older than me, but yes. Uh, okay. The primordial daddy was Richard Gere in Pretty Woman with that gray hair. <gasps> yeah. Cause that was the first time where I was like, oh, oh yeah. That's hot. And Daddy I can get it. Richard Gere can get it. 
100%. And listen, I watched the hell out of that one where he's a Air Force pilot. Mm-hmm. And he carries her around. At the end. Was that Deborah Winger? Yes, he does. Right out of the fucking factory. Oh. I don't even remember. <laughs> right? And he was young and handsome. But when he reappeared, I mean. Yeah, but now we have, like, Benicio Del Toro, who, like, also can get it. Uh, like, listen. What's the deal with these hot dudes? Listen. Who's the guy? Okay. I, who's Stringer Bell? What's his real name? Idris Elba. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't come up with that because I just also, was thinking is about Elba him. old. God, I, honey, I think Idris Elba is like our age. Sure, but my, so but my point is, is like as soon as he got like a little gray in that beard, Clooney, yes, primordial the, daddy, the silver <laughs> fox has entered the group chat. What? But but okay, yes, like empirically, those people, sure, like you you feel the twitch right when you see those men on screen. Sure, but the. Like, fundamentally in these books, it's also the, like, it's the, and Katie Roberts does this, too, in her Taboo series with her daddies, and Jessica Kane loves a daddy. Well, and listen, loves a daddy. Yeah. Chloe Maine. If you read Chloe, okay. No. I mean, okay, listen, I'm very convinced that Chloe Maine rhymes with Jessica Kane because whoever that is is very smart at marketing. Chloe Maine has a couple of books out. I think KU has served me some of hers, and I'm never, I'm never sure. I don't go, I don't go into that pool without somebody telling me the water's fine. The water is fine. <laughs> I'm ready to get. But it's real dirty, and it's really like even yeah, it's it's good though. But like, and then like in real life. I mean, no. also everybody knows my husband like edits these podcasts. So I mean, I don't even know, but like I can't imagine like no doing it in real life. So like, that's the thing where okay, it's like we have said a million times that romance is all fantasy. That romance is fantasy, right? So this to me is like an example of one that is completely divorced entirely from anything I've ever found sexy in real life. It just is. I mean, it just is. It just is. It just exists. Pure. Daddy <laughs> on another plane. Not pure. I mean, we've talked a little bit about daddy in general on the podcast before. And certainly, like, you know, I think, I think, yeah. It's that, it's the sort of, it is the, we need to have Andy Christopher on to talk about Stern Brunch Daddies, too. Because it is that sort of, like, you know... That that man who is going to take care of it. Well, and it, right? take care of it and take care of you. And I think, look, in a time, just like generally speaking, if we want to mm. talk about like society, right, where I think a lot of us feel really adrift and, um, you know, from, from even like a, the social contract being kind of gone, right? The mm-hmm. idea of like daddy, like that Uber idea, I can see being very appealing to a lot of people in a lot of really specific ways. Yeah, but can we talk about why I like Lennon Hale's version of this better than I like a lot of the versions of this? Yes, yes. Because it's too, it can be too much for me. Yeah. Like, and I don't just mean the, like, play piece, like the fantasy piece, the sex piece, mm-hmm. like the baby daddy bits, right? I don't want any of that nonsense. I don't want, like, baby girl anywhere near my yeah. romance novels. But the, what I like about these books is that, 
like these are still fully formed heroines who have careers and futures and like they are the relationship between the older hero and the younger heroine is is powered it yes of course there is a power differential that because of experience age money right etc fill in the blank but there is a very real sense that like ultimately she will have her own identity and future and whatever instead of like her being kidnapped on the side of the road and taken to the mountain man's cabin right right and then like (laughs) impregnated (laughs) Which is, like, fun for a quick, like, 60-page ride from Jessica Kane, But, like, London right. Hale gives me just, like, that touch more real. It, it is slightly more real in right. the sense that it's, like, no, the reality of, like, a super hot dad is not, like, a hugely – it doesn't seem hugely realistic. But the yeah. idea of, like, that plus then you having your own identity does feel like a more – a fuller fantasy for me. So I think one of the things that's also worth maybe mentioning at this point is, to me, this is where there is a real strong dividing line between what I would call romance, erotic romance, and erotica. Yeah. And yeah. some of this stuff is just erotica. Like, it's like a literal mm-hmm. one-handed read. Yeah. And some of it is, like, erotic romance. And I'll and, – but – and I think that's where, like, London Hale falls, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's why it's, like, satisfying kind of as a romance. Mm-hmm. It follows, like, sort of the romance arc, even though it's really compressed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a third act breakup. You know, they get back together, right? Well, they also really nail the trope itself of, like – and which we'll get into. But yes. Yeah. Going. Whereas, like, the Jessica Kane, Chloe Maine kind of – grouping i would call it really is more to me like erotica like i don't know that i'm really gonna believe that these people are like happily ever after i just believe they are living happily and having amazing sex that gets them both off yeah i think that's interesting that's interesting that you frame it that way because i do think like with jessica kane like you close the book and these people like poof disappear yes right not from your brain like i've definitely gone back and reread jessica kane books we did a whole jessica kane episode you guys it was really fun we had a panel it was very very fun right um we'll put links to that in show notes too but it does feel like those characters do not exist beyond the edges of the book right right but here these characters you can sort of imagine closing the book and then like Going off to live their lives separate from you. Look, I like erotica. I have zero problem with it. I This is not a like a slam on it. I just think it's a – one of the things I think is a, I struggle with a little bit is like there's this lack of clarity between like romance readers and the outside world about what we say when we mean romance, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get those listicles where someone puts like forever on a list and you're <gasps> like, what? <laughs> that happened this week. That No, but the, also the title of that list was like – for oh. people who love Fifty Shades or some shit. And you were like, Judy Bloom <laughs> what? should be nowhere, nowhere near, near this. this. List. <laughs> Shame on you, right? Leave Ms. Bloom alone. <laughs> right. And I and so there's that like that confusion. But I think to me, there's a similar confusion kind of the other way, where books that really are like kind of labeled romance that mm. aren't they're they're erotica, right? Mm. And I, again, I'm just kind of like, I wish there was, I wish they didn't all get like lumped in together. Like this book has sex in it. 
is not actually really a great (laughs) way of, like, lumping these things all together. Like, that is a very different thing. And so that's just, like, a kind of an eternal frustration for me that we can't just have, like, truth in labeling and then, you know – I I feel like this whole season, Jen, has been about that, though, for us. Yeah. Really coming to terms with the idea that, like, we – it's been 50 years, right? Right. And it's time for all of us, readers, publishers, authors, librarians, booksellers, to start thinking about romance as more than just one big bucket. Right. And – I'm not just – I'm not talking about genres, the subgenres, right? I'm not talking about romantic suspense verses. I'm right. talking about this yeah. question of like what is romantic fiction? What is erotic romance? What is – Right. You know, where do all the things connect? Where yeah. are the Where are the worlds where they live together and where are the worlds where they live separately? Right. Right. And I don't think that there's I, – I, I don't think anyone thinks we don't love romance. <laughs> God, no. Right. Um, I can't. <laughs> I would hope <laughs> that I'd be would real be, shocked. That is not a concern of mine. I no. have a lot of concerns related to this podcast. That's not one of them. <laughs> and I think it's also interesting to see how things have are changing over time, right? Yeah. Because this one of the things I I have said and I like truly believe is that if you really want to see the way like boots on the ground. We as a society are talking about, like, sex and gender and love and sexuality that a really good place, like, probably the most productive place to start your hunt would be in romance. Mm -hmm. And because I just think, like, this is where it's happening. But nobody – Well, as part of the job, yeah. Right. But I I feel like, you know, people don't think that that's true. And I'm like, you could tell a lot about – how the words we're using to describe, like, people have changed just by reading romance, right? I mean, like, we've talked a lot about male and female, for example, or manhood, right? Like, these words that now when we see them, we're like, ooh, but they were all in romance. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not going to use those anymore because I'm – I care about people and I don't want to hurt readers coming across yeah. these in my books. Yeah. And that's the thing I think that the London Hale books – you know, are what, 2017? Mm-hmm. And I think they still feel really dynamic. Mm-hmm. Even though in romance terms, especially in this arena five years ago, mine was well five hundred years ago. ago. And that yeah. is also interesting to me. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by author Kennedy Ryan and her newest book, Real. Real is the first in Kennedy's Hollywood Renaissance series, and it is a magnificent story of a heroine who is an actress, an aspiring actress, who's always kind of been waiting for her big break and finally gets her chance when she is cast in a biopic set in the Harlem Renaissance, directed by a kind of dark, brooding auteur director named Cannon Holt. And of course, these two just 
like our fire together. <laughs> it is for lovers of forbidden love romance, for workplace romance, for grumpy sunshine romance. And um, you are going to love it because as with all of Kennedy's books, it explores so much more than two people falling in love. It's also a love letter to creativity. It spends so much time honoring the history of Black creatives and Black artists and musicians and filmmakers. And also, it has these beautiful interstitial moments that are actually little clips from the screenplay of the film that Canon and Neva are working on. And it is really a beautiful book. You can find Kennedy at her website, KennedyRyanWrites.com, on Twitter at KennedyWrites, and Instagram at KennedyRyan1. Reel is available in print, ebook, and audio. And this week, special for Faded Mates listeners, you'll be able to immediately following the episode, listen to a select audio chapter of Kennedy's book, Real, and quickly, I have no doubt, fall in love with these characters. Thanks to Kennedy Ryan for sponsoring the show. So let's talk about these books. Okay. So we, I mean, obviously there are a bunch of daddy books. But there are also some other books, too. And so I think what this – these books were written in 2017, as Jen said, and and that is a time when we were seeing a ton of tropes, like rise and fall Mm -hmm. really fast, meteoric rises of tropes, and then, like, immediately they would – they would everybody would write one and then boom they would yeah. die off and then there would be the next thing. This is right after I would say the great stepbrother explosion. Yes. <laughs> yes. In fact, I don't think there is a stepbrother in these books, which is interesting. Um kind n- well, not really. Not really. You got one. Not in the same way at all. I should say no. I have read all of these books. So they've written 10. I, th- I think there are 10 or 11 in the Temperance Falls series. Um and I've read all of them multiple times, but like I go back to some of them more than others. So, and then for this episode, I went back and I reread five of them. Okay, in like a day, you guys. It was great. Oh yeah, it was great. It was sure. the best day. And then, um, and then Jen read a few too. I read three in this series. I read. I'm gonna say them because it's amazing. Daddy's best friend, nanny with benefits, and reunion. Oh, I didn't read Reunion. Reread Reunion. This is the interesting. Oh, let me just say then. He, it's um, he's in love with his stepbrother's girlfriend. Ah, uh, so it's like I was like, oh, they don't want to do a stepbrother, but this instead the stepbrother's like a bad guy, right? And the good brother is like, I've been in love with you for seven years or whatever. Mm. So it's interesting. See, that's hot. Um, yeah. So there's a little bit of there's always a little like. It begins with just a quick, like, savory insta-lust. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always. Always. Right? Because we're also talking about, like, 80-page books. These are very fast. Yes. They move extremely quickly. They are tropes distilled. I reread Nanny with Benefits and Daddy's Best Friend. I also read Dilf mm. because, I mean, classic. Sure. <laughs> And um, I reread Sinner because I knew you wouldn't. No. Yeah. Which is part of the taboo. Like this idea of each one of them is like a touch taboo. Right. Sinner, listen, Sinner's a priest romance, but I use priest in like very big air quotes because this is like a Unitarian minister. (laughs) Like he's he's 
he's not. He's like a, a he's like a youth pastor. He can <laughs> for sure get married. And the heroine um, owns a the sex heroine shop, runs right? a sex shop across the street, which becomes across the street from the church, which is a sort of central location for a lot of these books. Like, so Temperance Falls. It's basically your cupcake small town romance novels, right? Except everybody's kinky as hell. Not a cupcake shop; it's a sex toy shop. You know what else is interesting in these? As I was thinking about my three, and I don't know if it's is. So we talked about insta lust, but realistically, in all of the three I've read, the characters have known each other already. Well, yeah, sure. That's the shortcut about these daddy books, right? Is like they knew each other, but like she only became a human. <laughs> Right. She turned on her 18th birthday suddenly. <laughs> I don't even want to get involved in that because that's I can't think about it too hard. No, it's fine. It's that's the rule though, right? Sure. Like right. she was just like a person, like a normal. Well, and she was basically like nothing, and uh, then <laughs> boom, uh, literally on the eight the the minute hour day, like of Aphrodite, the 18th birthday, she rose like, from the waters, it's like um Chloe from a grief. She just succubist. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, at least in the ones I read, too, is he's horrified with himself for oh, liking it. Even. Now, of course, the that is, of it is that's different in like this, the 2022 version of Oof. Daddy. There's a lot less internalized hatred for being attracted well, to this babe. The 2022 version of Daddy has that. Did you ever watch that three, you know, when during the pandemic, that 365 Oh, I, I, yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Movie mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yes. Which is also a series of books that I did not read. Um, but like the joke on, was that he refers to her as baby girl. The yes. Whole, baby girl. His, like in his like, <laughs> s- like Eastern European accent <sighs> the whole time. And look, I will, I'm not going to lie. I definitely mid pandemic read that, watched that movie. And I was like, wow, what is now, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it was, you know, a deep dark. It was it was the dark days. Um, but the point is that, that that became, I feel like that movie really did, like, spark a thing mm. related to this, like, dark romance daddy business. But that's not where London Hale goes. It's, no. This is, like, d- daddy rom-com. Right. You know, I, I think that's a good point. I would also say this is a trope. Very light, I should say. There, you know, our friend Joe Brenner, who was on the Dark Romance podcast, said that she mm-hmm. and her friend have a like a a a, a gray scale for dark romance, and sometimes it's like Heather Gray, <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it's you know. And I was like, yeah, this, is light. this isn't anywhere gray though. No, this is like a, a pleasant taupe. <laughs> a crew. It's a to it's, use a historical word. Perfect. <laughs> But, you know, the other thing ab- ab- about that part is, your to your point, um, this trope exists, I think, per- per- perhaps, maybe I'm wrong, it, only in indie romance. Yeah. Right? And that's, I mean, certainly with the word. Yes. And, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And the, like, there's a lot of obvious reasons for that, but also, like, yeah, like everyone can be watching this Netflix movie and then these the most hardworking authors in romance can essentially like have oh, these books in your hands within a week or two, right? Perfect. 
So I also I mean, think for that's all worth the saying. ways that romance watched that movie, and then there was like all this discourse around like, oh, it's so bad for us, and like he kidnaps her, and what are we really saying? And it's anti-feminist, and you know whatever everybody was saying. The reality is, is everybody watched the shit out of that movie, and then a bunch of books came out that mm-hmm. scratched that itch. And yeah. so I think you know this is one of those situations where I think we like. We have to acknowledge that like romance is doing a very – it's doing lots of different things at once. Yes. It is not – it is not all things to all people all the time. Right. And I think that – I think you and I have both said that a lot of times, right? But that's – back to like Jane and Krenz's whole like genre carries the myth. Right. Right? Like – Look, we as people in America for sure are always going to be grappling with the myth of the – of the patri- – of, like, patri- Toxic masculinity. Of, of course. And these books are mainlining that. Yeah. Right? These books, however, are not. True. And so I think yes. that is why I – I've been talking about London Hill for a long, long time um, because I really like this. Yes. I like – the softness of mm-hmm. these books that these books give to this experience, this particular trope, yes. right? Um, so, but I also want to speak to my favorite London Hale book is actually not a daddy book. It's called Do- Talk Dirty to Me. Surprising no one. <laughs> I love a dirty talker. We all know that. I'm on the on the record. Um, and the hero of this book is a firefighter and also a phone sex operator who just happens to have a singular client who he is like basically falling for on the phone sex lines. Does phone sex exist? I don't even know anymore. It must. It must. But I mean, it has to, right? Anyway, there's it. Show notes are going to be real fun this week. I'm going to look it up. Good. Okay. <laughs> We're going to help. We'll do what we can. So anyway, um, and the, he has a client who he's like basically falling for who just so happens to be the mayor of this small town. Obviously. Who is an older woman. She's in her early 40s. And he is like a 25-year-old firefighter. And so, look – I'm for it. <laughs> you've you've mentioned this book several times, yeah, and I think I like it. Yeah, and you know what? I think there's the my favorite thing about romance is like the books that you just keep coming back to. Yeah. Like they they just are perfectly created to like scratch that itch. Yeah. It's like a total comfort read, and the yeah. conflict in that book is very much like she is a single lady mayor mm-hmm. who like cannot be caught sneaking around. Right. With a firefighter 20 years her junior. No. And yet, you know what? I bet it's all going to turn out. And you can it read it in an hour. Fine. There's a lighthouse. Oh, God. <laughs> Listen, it's great. That's the thing about, like, these books, they have um, – well, you've been you said it earlier that sort of propulsive feeling of yeah, what you're just along for this wild ride, you know. In some of them, like there's a doctor, and so someone like gets hurt, gets slightly hurt, right? Like <laughs> right, or you know, but mostly it's you know, in Nanny with Benefits, the hero Josh is a doctor, and like he's a widower. You know, it's it's so interesting because clearly we're talking about writers who understand the job, right? Right. Like right. I'm gonna write a widower and his nanny and I know what the innate conflict is there. Like the fear of losing if it goes south, what happens? 
to the relationship with their child with this child, right? Who is luckily off page for most of the time. Yes, I mean it's really very deftly done, right? So that one is called Nanny with Benefits, and Josh yeah, she does she has benefits? <laughs> yes, she, she does. Them. Josh is the doctor. Bailey is the nanny. The Listen, little, right? Fine. Wait. But can we just talk about the fact that like they meet they they like have the massive hots for each other and they oh, know yeah. that they cannot do it no. and then like she wanders into a se- the sex shop to talk to her friend and pick up her most recent vibrator. Yes, like, it's so sex positive too. The sure. whole series, like she goes in she, to get her new vibrator and he's wandering in to get a video, which we all know. Is I not was real. seriously like, <laughs> does he not know about the internet? Okay, no. he doesn't. Can't, he can't. He can't get that stuff on his computer. He has a child at home. Sure. Who knows what they'll find? Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, and you know what? That's Whatever. the other thing. I Lean care. into it, Ask right? Me if Lean I care. into it. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then he walks in and she's holding a bright pink vibrator and he's like, oh, well, now I'm going to lose my mind. Let, let me take care of you. I will say the one thing about these books that there there is something that is not my favorite, which is that, like, I've never had an orgasm in my life. Mm. You know, but whatever. This is my problem with Jessica Kane, too. They're all virgins. Yeah, right. right. Like, oh, come on. Right. Just one of them, right? I'd like to have, like, although, wait, Genesis from Dill, no, not Genesis, Harper, who owns the sex shop. I would imagine not- that priest is the virgin in that one, right? No, he's super dirty. Oh. He could get it done. Okay, yeah, but look, in these books, like, that doesn't she mean. She basically calls him on it. She's like, she thinks he's a virgin too, Jen, just like okay. you do. See? All right. And he's like, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> excuse he's me. He's like, let me show you how not a virgin I am. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, for everyone understands for reasons I cannot read that one, but um, it's fine. Yeah. But he is just, he's like a Mickey Mouse minister. It's fine. But you know what else I think is like back to your point that these are like feel like they have a real conflict, even if it gets sort of like put on page and solved pretty quickly. Like mm. between Josh and Bailey, the nanny with benefits, you know, he's older, so he's worried that she's, you know, he's like, I'm your boss. There's like a power dynamic. I have to name that. And what happens if we do this and it goes sideways and then you leave and we break my son's heart? Yep. And th- that's real. That's real. And I think that's the part that I really appreciated about these books, all of them, was there was some sense of, like, this is going to cause me some sort of real internal conflict. Yep. Well, like, in in Center Harper's uh, conflict is – it's actually Harper who has the conflict, and her conflict is, like, you're a priest. Like, uh, you you have – you know, you – it's, again, not really a priest, but, yeah. you know, you're a minister or whatever, and all these, like, little bitties – want you to have a squeaky clean image. You wear pleated pants. <laughs> and he's like, listen, yeah. You're I'm into you. You're great. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. You know, right. Again, that sort of like very clear daddy vibe of like, like, it's gonna be fine. I know what we're doing. Well, the other one I read was re well, I read Daddy's Best Friend, which is mm-hmm. as expected. Nathan and Eve. Now the other there's like a class difference there too. 
Mm-hmm. You know, her she's from her dad's like real rich, and he, they were uh, army buddies or whatever. And now he's like the sheriff, so he's like really worried. Like, look, I can't even keep you into the way that you're accustomed. Also, my best friend is your dad, and that's going to be real awkward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's that part. Now that so here's the other thing. That's the other thing that they really get. They really nail is the fear of discovery yes. as like. Yes. A, con- a legitimate conflict. Yeah. Um, and what I've discovered when I was reading, when I was rereading these and what I have always thought about when since we started the podcast and I've been reading these like dad's be- – like dad's best friend is a really like a kink for me. Like I really love that. Yeah. And part of the reason why is because I love – I love any romance where a secret – I love secret romances. I love right. fear of fear discovery of discovery. Um, because it – amps up it's like watching two people fall in love in a phone booth and like it amps up this kind of general fear of i'm remembering the first time maybe this was true for all of us that that got like named for me Mm -hmm. was in welcome to temptation by jenny cruzy remember yeah they are right they're like finn and sophie are like gonna have sex and it's not going well and they're both kind of disappointed and he's like let's see what we can do to like ramp this up a little bit and he starts like kind of, and then he like makes some noise, and she's like, Shh, "Someone will hear us." And he like, he's like, "Oh!" And he like throws a lamp across the room or something, and yeah. she's like, "What are you doing?" And they're fucking, and he's like, "You know." And then her sister comes in, and she has an orgasm, and she, like essentially, right? And he's like, "Fear of discovery." It's a really common kink, and I was like, "What just happened?" I mean, I oh, remember reading I mean- that and thinking. Oh my God, this is book hot. is brilliant. Yeah. Right? It's why so many things happen in closets. Yes. Like, right. You get pulled in, you get pulled into a closet at a party and like it just makes it hotter. Yeah. And I think that's part of what is so smart about these books is again, like we talk a lot about like fiction in general. Maybe I do, because my job. Why do we read fiction? Like, why do we like stories? Well, you know, there's a lot of stories out there in the world that I would like to experience from the safety of my own home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And being pulled into a closet is one of them. And I think that that's the part that this that this book gets really gets really right. And then the thing in Nanny with Benefits is they do get caught. Max's little boy, he's sick. He comes home sick. His mother, right, he's been it with his grandparents, so like with Josh's mom. And um, Bailey always thought like, oh, you know, Josh's parents like me. I'm the nanny. It's fine. And then Josh's mom, like uh, Bailey takes Max and is going to take care of him because he's sick. And Josh's mom is like, she works for you. What You're turning this girl into a prostitute, essentially. <sighs> and Max, who's the little boy, is then, like, upstairs and says to Bailey, like, what's a, what does the word prostitute mean? And she is devastated. Right. Right? Because she's, she's like, this is the very thing I wanted to avoid. So even though it gets, again, like, cleaned up pretty quickly, this book is putting on page – the fear, like the very the real, right, and the fear, right? Like if I am sleeping with my boss, then that's going to mean somebody's going to think I'm essentially a prostitute. Mm-hmm. I'm getting paid to do it, right? So I think that that's the part that is really great about these books. Yeah, and there is also a sort of sense this speaks to the value, the skill that it takes to write these books um, on on the part of um 
Ellis Lee and Brighton Walsh, who both write their own books um, right. separately, is that, you know, I'm just coming down off of reading <laughs> five Odette Stone novels in a yes. row, right? <laughs> right. Which are significantly longer than this, right? Like they're, you know, yeah. 300, 400 pages. So they're big. They're bigger books. They require more plot, right? But what's interesting is going from those books to these books is the real the the I have a fascination with, um, and we talked about this. I've talked about this on the podcast before. This idea that there are some writers who write le- who lead with plot, yeah, and some writers who lead with character, yeah, or lead with internal. Some lead with external conflict, and some with internal conflict. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that when you that London Hill leads with internal conflict, and every one of these books is is bursting with this like internal feeling stuff. Yes. Um, And it changes the game in a lot of ways because it's one thing if you are afraid of discovery because if someone discovers you, you might be like physically harmed or you might be, right. you know, uh, there's like an outward propulsive conflict that is a fear that's fear-based. Mm-hmm. Right, that you might have to suffer physically or financially or whatever career wise because of this conflict. It's a much, much more difficult, I think, uh, conflict to write if for you to convince the reader that the fear is internal, right? right? Like these characters will be okay if they are discovered, right? But they won't be okay, they won't be okay inside, right? Right. And that's the thing. Internal fears aren't always logical, right? No, and but this, it's hard to sell that to a reader. It is. It is. And it is. These women do. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's the thing that is really tricky. And this is why ultimately, you know, a really common kind of complaint is like the like, well, why didn't they just talk to each other? And I was like, are are you involved in a relationship with another yeah, human? Have you been in a relationship before? It's hard to have those conversations where you <laughs> just say what you know. What I mean, and so I find the I find those like miscommunications or like cross wires to be actually really believable. Yeah, because I especially yeah. when they're about these kind of like deeply internal fears and yes, feelings, well, that's right? what makes taboo taboo. Mm-hmm. Right, you're you're doing something. You've been completely indoctrinated to feel is right. wrong, or that society has complete is is has decided right. is wrong. You're feeling you're feeling feelings you're not supposed to be feeling. This week's podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us will drop anything to go help someone we care about. And we'll get out of our way to treat other people well. But how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? And don't we kind of deserve it, especially now at this time in the world? BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And one of the things that can help you get right with yourself is going to therapy. Anybody who's been lucky enough to go to therapy knows what a positive, awesome experience it can be. But 
it's not always easy. It's not always easy to find a therapist that you like that is close by. It's not always easy to take yourself out of your house and make time and space and hold space for therapy um, physically in the world in the midst of your crazy schedule and driving here, there, and everywhere. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Um, it's much more affordable than in-person therapy and and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Faded Mates listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fadedmates. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fadedmates. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. Well, so let's talk about reunion because mm. it was probably my like my favorite in the way that I thought it was doing something really interesting with Hannah, who's the main character. So Luke is the um the love interest, but his stepbrother, who has like some terrible name and I can't remember what it is. And what happened is is it's their 10-year high school reunion. And Luke has always really liked Hannah. And when he was a teenager, he made the mistake of telling his stepbrother, right? Like, oh, yeah, I really like her. And the stepbrother, just to fuck with him, essentially starts dating her. And the thing that's also really interesting, though, is so, like, kind of on and off, they've been on again, off again for 10 years, Hannah and the stepbrother, the bad stepbrother. And here's the part that I thought was actually really fascinating is Hannah isn't happy with him. She knows he's a jerk, but she has a high-stress job in a hospital as a nurse. Sometimes her emotions of, like, just dealing with, like, sick kids get the best of her. And so she will go to Barry and kind of be like, it's so hard, and he'll, like, listen to her. Mm-hmm. And she sort of gaslit her into believing that no one else would ever want to listen to this story. And I found myself thinking, like, when was the last time I read a woman who's like, I've been in a bad relationship for a really long time and I know it because I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And she's still so sympathetic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These books are – they're doing more than they seem. Yeah. All romances. There's my thesis. I love it, I love it There's so my much. thesis for the whole podcast. I love, I love it so much. I mean, yeah. I'd like, I know that I've talked about Talk Dirty to Me a million times, but like, how often do you see a 70-page erotic romance really tackle like the gender politics of leadership and power? Right. Like, There's – you don't see it very often. And so I think it's – I think these books are – I mean, I love them. I love them. One of the reasons why we are doing this podcast this week is because um, I think I probably recently spoke about London Hale on the podcast because uh, Ellis Lee um, tweeted and – tagged me in it that every time I talk about London Hale on the podcast, she wants to kidnap Brighton Walsh and like take her to a cabin and write a bunch more of these yeah. books. And you were like, how um, can I make that, that happen? the first time that I had heard that they are no longer yeah. 
writing as London Hale. And I mean, obviously, I noticed that the book stopped coming because right. I'm a romance reader. And when your authors, when your favorite authors stop publishing, you're like, why? I know. What happened? How? Yeah. Why am I being punished? Um <laughs> And so, <laughs> meanwhile, I would like you right now as a romance author to be like, yeah. no one's punishing you. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, no I'm never going to write Benedict's book. It's fucking hard out here, you Listen, guys. <laughs> just let it go. <laughs> I love that you can do both and. Listen, whenever I get a, tele- an, a message, an email or a tweet or whatever that's like, can you please write faster? I'm like, man, no. I wish I could. Like, <laughs> right. Listen, first of all. PSA, everyone, don't send that text. I mean, it's yeah. very sweet, and I right. know I know what you mean, but, like, it's hard. It's we hard. want to yeah. – every one of us wishes that we could write faster. Sure. Truly. Um, but also, like, I really do wish I could write faster. I wish these books were, were over. <laughs> Me too. Tommy, Tommy. <laughs> oh, my God, Jen, I can't wait for you to read Imogen and Tommy and Heartbreaker. Anyway, Heartbreaker coming August 23rd. Um, the, (laughs) and you know, listen, I'm an asshole because the truth is I'm going to read it before any of people listening. And so they're like, shut up, Jen. (laughs) Fair. That's fair, everybody. But she, she hasn't read it yet. Just like all of you. You're all in the same boat today. Today. Um, today. Uh, but wait, what was I saying? So here's my thing. So I know, of course I noticed the books weren't coming, but I didn't realize that they, so, and they were very public on Twitter about the fact that, um, you know, the books just didn't sell as well as they had hoped. And that's sad to me because I think these books are really yeah, quite delicious. One of the, the ways that KU – I have a lot of complicated feelings about KU to, like, what it's done to, like, the marketplace in general. But – We the, should have said these books are free currently in KU. All yeah, all of them. But I don't think there's also – there is a certain kind of romance reader, I'm talking about me, who is really happy to, like, essentially start a new book every night, right? Like, I'm just going to try something new tonight. And KU allows you to try anything that is out there. And that is a pretty amazing thing. And when you are the type, you know, so for me, I'm like, look, people unwind in so many different ways. But for me, I'm like, wow, a book I can like read in an hour at bedtime is the gift. And these books are, there's 15 of them or whatever. (laughs) Enjoy. Yeah. But it's like, maybe we could like, it's like, you know, save London Hale, hashtag save London the Hale. It's like a Netflix campaign. (laughs) Yes. Like, um, but really, it's very selfish because it's just because I want more of them. <laughs> so. Fine. Look, there are so many other opportunities in Temperance Falls. There's like a whole battalion of firefighters who I'm ready for. Yeah. I also love and the many, name. And many, many taboos that I enjoy to read. I love the name of that town, Temperance Falls. Like, I wonder if there's like a series of like closed door romances called Temperance Rises. <laughs> I mean, that's fine, I guess, if you want those. Something for but- everyone. Ellis and Brighton, I want you to write mine first. <laughs> um, wait. So, uh, yeah. So that is what we have to say about that. We really love these London Hale books, and you should all go read them. Do you want to talk about Bee's 
tweet. Okay, yeah, you guys listen. Because I'm going to text Eric right now and let's see if we can, we can get him to answer me before we finish recording. Okay, so you guys, you know that one of our faves on Twitter is B and her books. She is um, a public librarian in Milwaukee and also was a library journal reviewer of the year. So she's like the real MC. I don't know what that means. The real OG. What does it mean? What is she? She's just MVP. Fuck. Is that what you're looking for? Maybe. Sure. She's a series of <laughs> strings of letters of people that we really love and approve of. But. She's the real OED. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Okay. Anyway, she had a, a tweet. I was laughing so hard when I read this. We'll put it in show notes. And she wrote, I just messaged Mr. B and asked him to describe what I smell like. <laughs> and <laughs> And then it's like, I had to prompt him a bit to get him here, but I'll take it. He finally says, like a daisy. And the thing that is amazing is so then a bunch of people started messaging their partners and saying, Hilarious. What do I smell like? Right. And so many of them were like, Skin, like <laughs> your hair, your shampoo. <laughs> like, right? What did Eric, what did Eric say? I can't even see it. Go down a little. Go down a little. What? <laughs> Exactly. Eric just wrote, what? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, are, have you texted Mr. Reed's romance yet? I was like, he would. He, I, I. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, someone said, uh, you smell like a normal human plus your, usu- plus your usual products. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> you smell like you. <laughs> I am crying. I left. I'm just writing again. So it says, hi, what do I smell like? And he wrote back, what? And I just wrote back, what do I smell like? You're like, I'm not offering you any help. Uh, this, I mean, he edits a romance novel podcast. He should know the rules here. He should know the rules. He should know the rules. I smell like fresh rain. Yeah. And Let probably drops. some kind of food. Sure. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it's... Heroines always smell like food. Heroes always smell like aroma. like mm. Or like, like plants or trees. Yeah. Bergamot and... Right. Leather. Citrus. Leather. Horses. God, if somebody smelled like horses, I'd be like, go take a fucking shower. You stink. <laughs> Listen, can I just tell you that in the early drafts, this is... I'm, here it is. Come into, my, come into my secret world, you guys. Okay. In the early drafts of a Sarah McLean novel... <laughs> Jen might know this actually. In early drafts of, this, of a Sarah McLean novel, the hero always smells like TK dude scent. <laughs> you guys, TK means to come in editing yeah. speak. It means exactly. I haven't decided yet. Well, it's because T and K basically do not ever appear in a in a word together um, in that order in the English language. So if you have to search. You can search TK and it'll pop up. I have two very funny stories for you, except for Latke. Latka. So if you are a romance, if you are a, a reading a, a romance that involves a lot of latkas, you are. That's funny. TK is not great for that. Okay. Here's, a, I have two funny stories about this. One is, okay, I wrote a column for Kirkus once about football and, um, right, like f- how it was like I thought on the really, the cutting edge of talking about like the human toll of CTE. And I talked about an Alexa Martin book where the 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 hero has like sort of early some early stages of symptoms, mm-hmm. and his name is T.K. Moore, 
And Tom Beer, who is my editor at Kirkus of those pieces, was like, okay, what's his real name? And I was like, what are you talking about? His name's TK Moore. <laughs> and he was literally like, no, like, what's his real name? It's T. Why do you have TK here? And I was like, because his name is like Thomas Kent. TK yeah, whatever. Right? <laughs> I mean, it was like this like really classic. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? His name's fucking TK. That says right there. Do you want me to look it at the It was a real who's on first Yes, <laughs> it was. Okay. Here's another thing. About oh has Eric answered you no more no, no now he's he's like it's a trap I'm frozen in fear red. yeah <laughs> he's like Eric's phone is now on silent mode or whatever no he knows we're recording he's like whatever is happening in I there. don't want to be involved <laughs> he's gonna find out soon enough okay here's another okay everybody knows that I I don't really like outside and I don't really Same. know the names of things that live or grow outside so. <laughs> Uh, a true story is, like, Kelly and I are driving back from, like, the Women's March, and we were, like, in rural Virginia. And I was like, that's weird. Why are there, like, pigs in that field? And Kelly was like, those are sheep. And I was like, really? <laughs> that is 100% true. What What's also weird is, like, did you – were you born in a city? No, no. I was born in a suburb. But, like, there's yeah, no like, real – I mean, you had yards. Yeah, but – Whatever. I didn't really. And I didn't. well, you've had wait, but you you've had up close personal coyote experiences recently. Sure, in Lincoln Park. Well, I mean, which is terrifying. Did I ever tell you the story once about there were deer outside my classroom window in Lincoln Park? And I called the no, Lincoln Park Zoo, it. and I was like, "Hi, you called the zoo." I was like, um, "There's some deer out in the park. Did they escape from the zoo? Like, there are not deer." The zoo was like, "Ma'am, no, this you is know a what? Zoo. You know what they said? They were like, we've had a couple people call us. They're not ours. They're not yours.' Because I was oh, like, they're gonna wander on the. Li- they didn't say to you, ma'am, there are no deer at the zoo because people see deer all the time. Not in Lincoln Park. Not in Lincoln Park." That's, well, now you've got coyotes. There. Now it's like rural. It's like rural there. Yeah. They heard the Obama library's going in. Well, that's like, this is where that's Jackson Park. That's by my house. Lincoln Park is by school. Okay. Oh. Wait. Here's, but yeah, the deer were not from the zoo, but we were really worried about them that they would wander onto Lakeshore Drive. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. There, it's fine. This week I had to, I had, I got a lovely bouquet of flowers for my mother-in-law who was visiting, and there were some very smelly flowers a in it. plus mother-in-law. Oh, my God. They're so beautiful. Um, she doesn't listen to this, and this is the very end, so I feel like I can tell the story. So there are some very pretty but smelly flowers in there, and I had to look them up because then I texted Kate. Were they lilies? They were. And I had to Google smelly. Lilies are very smelly. I had to Google smelly flowers, and then I saw <laughs> – I'm not actually kidding because I was a little too embarrassed to say to Kate, like, there's some smelly flowers. So my question to Kate was, can I cut off these things in the middle and make them less smelly? And she laughed. And I was like, I just want to be clear. The reason I sent you that picture from Wikipedia of the lilies was because I had to Google smelly flowers to find out what they were. I did cut off all those middles. It didn't really make them less it smelly. It doesn't help. This morning I took They're pretty smelly. all the lilies out and threw them away. Listen, you here now you know that if you were ever to become a romance writer, you would never ever yeah. scent your heroine with lilies. And I've always thought Lily was such a pretty name for a a a, a person. And now it's I'm a like lovely name. I myself have written a lily. But now I'm like they're smelly. They are. It's they're, It's a lot. Kate said they smell like death. And I was like, they do. Well, they do in a lot of ways. Yeah. Funeral flowers, she said. They are. They're very, 
very well-known funeral flowers. No, were they pink or yellow? They were yellow. Yeah. They were so pretty. The pink ones are also super stinky. Mm. Anyway, apologies to lily lovers out there. Yeah, well, and look, if now you know, if you ever send me flowers or I'm going to see some random animal, I'm going to have to Google what is this fucking thing. Listen, I got flowers this week from Tracy Livesey because she sent me flowers for my new house, which I think is nice. Is that the nicest thing you've ever heard? That is the nicest thing. And they smell delicious. They're wonderful. They're roses. Mm, God, what a smell. And eucalyptus. That's great. I'm for it. Eucalyptus is a good name, is a good scent that I would definitely give to a hero, except I don't know that it existed in Victorian England because it comes from far away, I think. Sure. This is why my heroes all smell like TK dude scent until they smell like tobacco <laughs> flower because that's what Eric's soap is and I like it a lot. Yeah. See, if Eric texted me and said, what do I smell like? You'd be like, I would say, flower. you smell like tobacco flower. Mr. Reed's romance really likes, there's a lotion from Lush called I can't remember, Dream Cream maybe, and it smells so good. And every time he has it on, I'm like, oh. smells great. God, you smell amazing. Listen, the truth is, is that we know what people smell like. We notice. We don't know. We can't. Nobody can articulate it the way a romance character can. No. No one. Unless you're, you know, a. Right. Perfumery. (laughs) A a perfumer? I don't know. There's another word for that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is that no one can do it except for romance characters. Sure. And but there is something to the fact that like we can all we all can identify the sense of the people who we love. Yes, that is true. Like I know what my best friend smells like. My sister has a very like distinct scent. Sure. I mean, of course. My mom used to wander around in a cloud of Chanel number no. five when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I cannot smell it without that, without that memory of my mother going out on a weird dinner with my dad i'm gonna put in show notes i cannot think of it right now and i'm not gonna find it so i'm not gonna pretend i can there was a book a non-fiction book once about like the like the theory of smells Mm. and i read a review of it and i was like i don't know is this the book you romance writers are out there reading about because i thought it sounded really interesting but oh i want to read that yeah of course you do i'm gonna find out what Um, it is you should also follow, is it Mail Scent Catalog oh, yes. on Twitter? So funny. Yes. Which is funny. They retweet the lines from romance novels where people talk about what they smell. Yeah. Like, uh, fabulous. Great use of Twitter, as far as I'm concerned. Perfect. What Twitter is there for. Um, and, yeah. I'm really, I'm, I like this. This was, look, this was a bantery episode, but I think what are you going to do? Hopefully sell some books for London Hale. That's what we're going to do. Go out and go forth and read London Hale books. And then wait, what did Jen say? Jen also said, Chloe, if you're a Jessicaine fan, you could go Chloe Maine. Ooh, yeah. I know that Jen's Jen's version of London Hale is Brill Harper. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. God, these people are out there doing God's work. Yep. That's how I feel. Thanks to BetterHelp. And Kennedy Ryan for sponsoring today's show. And as promised, if you stay tuned after this episode, you'll hear a select chapter from the audiobook of Kennedy's Real. This is Faded Mates. I am Sarah McLean. I'm here with my friend Jen Prokop. You can find us at fadedmates.net or at fadedmates on Twitter or at fadedmatespod on Instagram. And what else, Jen? Um, we are produced by Eric Mortensen. 
And oh, indeed we are. Who uh, still has not texted me back to tell me what I smell like. He's no dummy. Listen, everybody. <laughs> he knows he's it's a, a trap. He's a very, very smart man. <laughs> that is why. <sighs> Have a great day, everybody. Chapter 29. Canon. I thought I'd learned my lesson. I promised myself and Evan I wouldn't get involved with one of the actresses again. Yet here I am at the door of Neva's rented cottage, under the pretense of cobbler. Light pours over her on the porch, while she retrieves the keys from her purse, illuminating every reason I should follow her inside. When she opens the door and walks through, I hesitate, standing on the porch. Here's my chance to stop this. What are the odds of not fucking Neva Saint if I go in? Little to none. It's not just the threshold of her house I'm crossing. It's the threshold of folly. She turns back when she realizes I'm still outside. And the sight of her does something to me that used to feel foreign, but I've become accustomed to the effect. She takes my breath away. Not just the way her features are arranged into prettiness, or the dig-hardening, slim-thick curves. When she looks at me, I feel like she sees me, and I'm not sure anyone ever really has. Why her? My curiosity rage is as strong as my lust. This is the threshold to why, to answers, to satisfaction for the hunger the very sight of her arouses in me. Did you change your mind? Disappointment sifts into her expression. It won't take long to heat up. And I have ice cream. There's something about the most fascinating woman I've ever met, feeling like she has to put ice cream on top to convince me that destroys the last of my resistance. It's just cobbler, right? I have enough willpower to eat dessert and get out of here without anything happening. Don't I? I'm Cannon Holt, renowned for my discipline and self-control. And yet when she bends over and slides the cobbler into the oven, I'm like a horny teenager straining for a glimpse of her ass. She straightens and tugs at the dress hugging her body. Mind if I change? I just want to get comfortable. Sure. I settle onto the couch and try the only thing that's ever worked in my quest to resist Neva. I don't look at her at all. You want coffee? I stare at my hands linked between my knees. Nah, I won't be able to sleep tonight. Okay, I'll be right back. She disappears down the short arched hallway, her heels clicking on the flagstones. The Spanish-style cottage the studio is putting her up in boasts high ceilings and oversized picture windows. Even unlit, the dormant fireplace lends the room warmth and coziness. I assume both bedrooms, hers and Takira's, are down that hall. My mind wants to wander there, to her changing clothes, bearing her skin inch by satiny inch. 
I've seen her nearly naked. We filmed a sex scene between Desi and Tilda, but it was as calculated and choreographed as one of Lucia's dance numbers. Neva wore a body stocking, and everything was plotted. All the places she would touch and be touched, mapped out and rehearsed. In front of ten people, they were repositioned several times to get the shots we wanted. There was an intimacy coach on set. It was a clinical thing. It wouldn't be that way with us. We would run wild through fire. I'd be mindless, my hands everywhere, and our clothes flung to far corners. I'd trap her against a wall with my body and beg her to bite me, to break the skin. That's better, Neva says, coming back into the room wearing a T-shirt that says, Ew, David, and a cotton skirt. She has dancer's legs, the muscles graceful and rippling under richly hued skin. Her feet are bare, and toenails painted white. Shit's Creek, I ask, nodding to her shirt, hoping to distract myself from all the nasty shit running rampant through my thoughts about her legs wrapped around my waist or me licking the arch of her foot. Yes, Takira and I binge it in my trailer between scenes. She walks into the kitchen and opens the oven. There's a lot less waiting in theater than in movies. Very true. How's the adjustment been? You tell me, she says with a smile over one shoulder. You're the director. Don't remind me. I think you've done a great job. I smirk and lean deeper into the soft cushions. Or you would have heard about it by now. Oh, I know. I was gesturing too much in the beginning and playing it too big. Like I was on stage, not for a camera. The first day, I grin, bearing my amusement. You were yelling at the camera. She sends me a glare and walks into the living room with two bowls loaded with steaming cobbler. I'll never forget Kenneth's note. She hands one of the balls to me and sits down at the other end of the couch. Cannon says to tell you, we're right here. That was the last time you yelled at me, though. You think? She scoops up some of the dessert, chasing the ice cream around the bowl with her spoon. I hope this is half as good as my mama's. The first bite nearly crosses my eyes. This is delicious. If your mama's is any better, I might marry her. She might have you. I've heard about her sister and mother, but nothing about her father. So is your dad still around? No. Her smile withers, and she lowers her eyes to the bowl in her hands. He died. Heart attack. I'm sorry. She lifts and drops one shoulder, her eyes sober when they meet mine. It actually made us closer, me, Mom, and Terry. That's why it hurts so much when Terry, when she did what she did. She stands abruptly her bowl still mostly full, and cuts down the emotion growing in her eyes. 
Guess I didn't want dessert as much as I thought I did. I'm done. Hey. I take her wrist gently and pull her to stand between my knees. Looking up, searching her face for lingering hurt. You okay? She nods, glancing down her arm to where I clasp her wrist loosely. By the time she looks back, the hurt, the sadness is gone. They've left behind a smoldering ember, an answer to the burning question ablaze in me. I should get out of here now. I've managed to keep the promise to myself. I'm ahead in this game and should cut my losses. But do I? Am I that smart? Am I that strong? Hell no. When she leans closer, aligning our faces, I don't pull back or push away. Our noses touch and panting breaths wrestle between our lips. We're inches from the inevitable, and she's the only one who could stop us now. Desire clouds the clear brown long-lashed eyes that bore into mine. I want to kiss you, she whispers over my lips. Is that okay? I swallow deeply, wrestling with my own longings. If I say no, she'll step away. She'll go into the kitchen. I'll leave and return to my empty house, to my empty bed, to a life that, aside from the stories I tell, the movies I make, is pretty empty, too. It's not the best idea, I say, my voice low, raspy, nearly unrecognizable. She carefully climbs onto the couch over my knees, the short skirt rides up as she spreads her thighs to bracket mine. What would be a good idea? She asks. So close now, her lips skim the words over my mouth. I take a deep breath that brushes my chest against the generous curves of her breasts, the contact robbing my brain of thoughts for a second. I'm your boss, Neva. What does that have to do with it? She pulls back, concern knitting her thick, sleek brows. You think I'll say you made me do it? I would never do that, Cannon. If you think this is some kind of trap... She starts sliding off, but I can't let her do that. I don't want her to do that. Every inch separating us is excruciating. I hold her in place and draw her close again, my hands palming the tight, slim line of her back, rolling from her shoulder blades past the delicate cage of her ribs to the dramatic indent from waist to hip. I've dreamt of you touching me, she says, her breath scented with apples and spice and want. Don't stop. Neva, don't. Stop. She sets the bowls on the couch to our left and right, freeing her hands to reach back up and caress my nape, run her fingers over the coarse waves of hair I've let grow while we've been shooting. I want to touch you too. 
She scrapes the neat crescents of her nails over my ears. I shudder, and she pauses, smiling, repeating the simple caress. Her fingers wander to my jaw, scraping through the bristly beginnings of my beard. You are so beautiful, she says, leaning forward to rub her cheek against mine. I'm not. I keep my hands at her waist, because if I touch her ass, it's over. My dick is already impossibly stiff, pressing into the warm cove between her legs where she straddles me. You know, at first, I didn't think so either. She pulls back, the heat in her eyes tempered with a dangerous tenderness. But then I saw you smile, and I could never think of you as anything but beautiful again. And as much as I want more, there's a part of me that relishes just this, the eager discovering of first touches and near kisses. We'll never have these again for the first time, and I've had enough things that weren't special to savor this thing that is. And as soon as I saw you on stage, you saw your Desi? She lowers her lashes and toys with the buttons on my shirt. I saw a star, yes. But also the most generous performer I'd ever encountered. You gave the audience everything. And I wondered, is that for real? Does she hold nothing back? Do you want to know? She scoots an inch closer, her skirt rising higher and revealing the edge of her black panties. If I would give you everything? She skates the tip of one finger over the bow of my lip, and I grit my teeth, gripping the last shreds of control with slippery palms. Her curious caress moves to my bottom lip, brushing back and forth until on a pant, my mouth opens. Wasting no time, she grips my chin, leaning in, licking into me, searching, finding my tongue and drawing it into her mouth, sucking gently, softly. My control snaps like ropes holding back a beast, and it sets my hands free. I clutch the roundness of her ass, urging her even deeper into me, until the place where I'm hardest touches the place where she is most soft and vulnerable and wet. I groan into the kiss, pushing up, urging her hips into a deep wave over me. We build a rolling rhythm that collides our bodies over and over again, kindling for a fire. My hands slip under the t-shirt and find her skin, velvet and sleek, stretched over her back. I hesitate at the clasp of her bra. Not sure I should. Never breaking the contact of our kiss, she reaches behind and undoes the clasp herself. The freed weight of her breasts spills against my chest, and I push my tongue deeper into her mouth, so deep her breath catches like it might be too much, like I might be too much, 
and I want that because she is too much for me to take in all at once. The vastness of her spirit and the urgency of her passion. I taste this night in the sweet recesses of her mouth, the dessert and the daring. She breaks our kiss to tug the shirt over her head and ease her arms from the loops of her bra. My mouth waters at the sight of the dark nipples, tipping her breasts like crown jewels. Touch me. There's begging in her voice I can't resist. I brush my thumb over her, watching her breast peak and tighten. She draws a sharp breath. Taste. I will. My lips part, poised to accept the intimate invitation. My phone rings, splitting the quiet. Her eyes widen, find mine. I would ignore the call, but it's Evan's ringtone. Shit. Worst timing ever. Not only did he ruin my vibe, but he reminded me of all the reasons this shouldn't happen yet. I need to get this. It's Evan. Oh. She nods, grabbing the shirt and slipping it over her nakedness. All right. She moves off me, glancing down at my dick, tenting my jeans. She licks her lips, and all I can imagine is that kiss-swollen mouth wrapped around my cock, and Evan can go to hell. Unthinking, I palm her hip and draw her back to me. The rain comes again. Damn it, Evan. I pull the phone from my pocket and ease off the couch. She stands there a moment, as if waiting for me to change my mind. If I don't walk away, I will. So I go to the fireplace and turn my back on her, resting my elbows on the mantel. What's up? I ask Evan. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. You still want to come over? Drink and dream some? My dad gave me these Cuban cigars at dinner today. My dude, I got one with your name on it. You on your way? Behind me, spoons clank in the bowls as Neva walks to the kitchen, rinses the dishes, and slots them into the dishwasher. I look over my shoulder to find her turned away, hands gripping the edge of the sink, slim shoulders lifting and falling with deep breaths. She appears as discomposed as I feel. But she's younger, not just in years, but in experience. This is her first movie, and she gets into a relationship with a director? It's not wise. It could be a repeat mistake for me, yes, but one I could easily weather. There are passes I get because I'm a man, because I have powers she doesn't, because I tell stories that make people money. She doesn't have that track record yet. She has no idea that we could crush each other. That beyond this door and this feeling, her career, her whole life could be jeopardized by what we do tonight. But I know. And I won't let her risk it. Yeah, I'm on my way, I tell Evan, pulling the car keys from my pocket. Cool, by the pool. I'll light the fire pit and you can tell me all about your lonely turkey dinner. Bet. I let out a brief laugh 
and disconnect. Neva turns around, leaning against the sink, braless, her nipples still hard and round and high through the thin cotton t-shirt. You're leaving? I walk to the kitchen slowly, giving myself time to overcome the violent objections of my dick. When I reach the arched doorway, I stop. If I touch her, this blows up again, and I'm bending her over that sink, shoving that skirt up and pushing her panties to the side. I don't want our first time to be like that. And I make a decision. There will be a first time for us, but not tonight. Yeah, I'm gonna go, I tell her, my voice still scratched and rough. Did I do something wrong? She looks down, twists her fingers at her waist. I'm embarrassed. I didn't mean to make you feel. You didn't make me feel anything I wasn't already feeling. I walk forward, risking everything to reassure her. I lift her chin and make her meet my eyes. It wasn't anything I didn't already want. That I still want. Then don't go. She reaches up wrapping her hand around my forearm. We can, this is dangerous, Neva. For me, yes, but even more for you. We should wait. But I don't, she ventures a glance up at me. Wait, for how long? Until the film wraps, I cup the tender curve of her cheek and jaw, searching her eyes for caution or hesitation. There is none. That openness that draws me to her is on full display, her desire unmasked. This is your first movie. Do you want everyone thinking you got the role because you were sleeping with the director? I don't care what people think. You will. I've been in this business a long time. It's vicious. The rumors, scandal, lots of truly talented people ruined their careers with bad personal decisions. You are not a bad decision, Cannon. Maybe not, but I'm one you should wait to make. I bend to kiss her, giving my hands permission to slide down her arms over her sides into her waist. She strains up on tiptoe eating into our kiss, her lips soft and warm and eager. Neva's sweetness hides a devouring kind of passion. When we happen, she will burn me inside out, and I can't wait. But I will. With my lips still clinging to hers, I force myself to step back, not risking one more word or allowing one more touch. I leave. <laughs>